What a joy to hear God's people proclaim His voice, and what a joy to be back with you, church family, this Sunday. Last week, I had the privilege of being in North Louisiana, in Jonesboro, where I was speaking at a conference hosted by First Baptist Church Jonesboro and the local Baptist Association on healthy churches. Some of you will remember the pastor from First Baptist Jonesboro, Brian McAllister. Brian and his church join us. Uh, the last two summers have joined us for our family camp in Dry Creek. So it was a joy to be with them. And I was able to see Miss Lee and Bridget and Charles and Ramona Foster, who were transitioning from South Baton Rouge, South Louisiana, up to North Louisiana. I got to spend a little bit of time with them last Sunday as well. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, as we continue our way through this incredible reflection of who God is as we see his relationship with his people. Pastor Travis reminded us of God's provision in the life of the nation of Israel and the warning that God would give to them as we too find ourselves being like the nation of Israel. And here in chapter 16 particularly, we see the Lord testing the nation of Israel. Now, tests do a number of things, do they not? They reveal, for example, exactly what one knows. They also reveal what one doesn't know. We see this test come at the very beginning of chapter 16 as the Lord tells Moses to tell the people, verse 4, Behold, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may do what to them? Test them. Now, as parents or grandparents, you also know a little bit about test, right? We do the same thing with our children from time to time. We want to test them to see just how obedient they really are. You ask them to do something, not necessarily maybe because that act needs to be done right now. Perhaps it's the trash. The trash isn't necessarily overflowing, but you want to say to your son, hey buddy, go take out the trash right now. For what purpose? It's a test. We want to see just how well David is listening. Perhaps maybe he's been struggling with immediate obedience, right? So we want to give him a test. David, you don't want to look at me, buddy? Did you, did you pass a test, or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, we give our kids tests to see how they're going to, how they're going to do, right? How, they, how they're going to respond to those tests. We test to see if they're going to be obedient. We test to see if they're listening. We test to see if they're paying attention. We see from this text of Scripture that God has given the nation of Israel a test. How will they uphold under this test? Well, you saw last week in the section of Exodus in chapter 16, verses 1 through 20, they don't necessarily do all that well, right? You remember they even complain back to Moses and, and say again, oh, it would have been better if we'd have just stayed in, in Egypt. 
And the test continues this week, beginning in verse 21, as God teaches the nation of Israel dependence on Him through provisions. God teaches His people dependence on Him through provisions that sustain their lives both physically and spiritually. Hear the word of the Lord beginning in verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside till, to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now God is going to teach the nation of Israel through two communications in this passage of Scripture that He is indeed providing for them. He's making provision for them that sustain them both physically and spiritually. And this lesson is a hard lesson for the nation of Israel. You remember, they have just spent the last 400 plus years in bondage over in Egypt. So this concept of God making provision for the nation of Israel that would sustain their lives both physically and spiritually in some ways was a concept that they could not comprehend. Over in Egypt, who did all the work while in Egypt? Israel. Was there a day of rest for Israel in Egypt? No, we go all the way back to the beginning of this narrative, and we even see in, in chapter 2, the concern from Pharaoh is, my gracious, the nation of Israel's growing too quickly, they're growing too fast, and how in the world can we stop this growth among the people of Israel? Well, he said, I'll make them labor. And so they labored very intently. They had to not only continue to make the same amount of bricks, but if you remember, the narrative tells us that they also had to start making provision for the straw. Before that point, the Egyptians brought the straw to them and they baked the bricks, but now they would have to continue to bake as many bricks plus go find the straw. So the idea was, we'll make them work so hard, it'll end any type of growth that they might experience among the people. The concept of rest was beyond their comprehension. The concept of provision being made for them in a way that they didn't have to work for them was completely beyond comprehension. You see what God is trying to do for the nation of Israel as He moves them towards Sinai into this covenantal people. God wants them to learn 
a lesson of complete, total dependence on him. How is he teaching this dependence? Through provisions. Provisions that sustain them both physically and spiritually. We see this first concept of spiritual and physical sustenance here in verses 22 through 26. The Lord's going to provide for them. They're six days a week, they're going to go out and, and pick up this manna, this manna that we know is being rained down from heaven itself. They're going to go out and pick that up six days, but on that sixth day, they're going to go out and gather enough food for the sixth day and for the seventh day. But notice the miracle of the raining down of this manna. Of course it's a miracle that God has rained down manna from heaven. You already covered that last week. The Lord is making provision for his people. That is absolutely a miracle. It comes from heaven. They're not even sure what to call it. They don't even know exactly what it is. This text shows us that it's not only a miracle that God rained down manna from heaven and made provision for his people, but notice what else God does. God preserves the manna that normally rots or would have worms in it. He makes provision so that that six days gathering would last until the seventh day. God is showing in double measure, if you will, that he and he alone has the ability to sustain his people physically. Now friends, think of Jesus' communication that we read at the very beginning of our worship time together from Matthew chapter 6. And rehear Jesus' statements in Matthew chapter 6 in light of what God is doing here in Exodus chapter 16. Where are they in Exodus chapter 16? Are they in En Gedi? Where David would find lush provisions from God? They're in the wilderness. There is absolutely nothing in the wilderness. Some of you have been down to Egypt, or perhaps you've been down into the Sinai Peninsula. It is complete wilderness. There is nothing there. There's not even water there. And yet, what does God do? He provides bountifully. And now hear Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Look at the birds of the air. Are they not clothed or fed? Look at the lilies of the field. Are they not clothed? How much more shall I provide for you? And how does Jesus teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Friends, we serve a God that knows how to make provisions for his people. God has been at the work, at the act of providing for his people from the, very, from the very beginning. We go all the way back to the story of Genesis, and God places Adam and Eve in the garden. And what did God do for Adam and Eve in that garden? They had provision for everything they needed in life. 
God is reminding his people that even in the middle of desperate situations and moments, God knows how to provide for his people physically. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're wondering about God's good provision for you, would you look to God's past acts? Would you look at how God has sustained his people throughout their journeys? And as you look to God, would you find hope in him? Would you rest in him? Would you see his ability to make provision for him? But God not only provides for his people physically, God begins to communicate a very important lesson for the nation of Israel. Remember, they're on a journey to where? Ultimately, the Canaan land, but they're right now in between leaving Egypt and the next important mark, which is Sinai. What happens at Sinai? God covenants with his people. They become his, they become his covenantal people. They're on their way to this moment. And there, they will clearly hear all the ways in which God will provide for them spiritually. But God has given them lessons along the way. So that if you will, when they get to Sinai, they're not completely surprised at what God will ultimately call them to do and what he will call them to be and what he expects them to do. So notice what this text says, verse 23. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of what? Solemn rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. I mentioned a few moments ago, what did the nation of Israel, what did the people of Israel know about rest? They know absolutely nothing. Have you ever been in that moment in life where for a month, two months, three months, six months even perhaps, seven days a week, it's just constant. For example, planning a wedding. Have you ever planned a wedding before? I've not. I've just watched my wife do it and listened to all about it, right? It's like this. It's every day. For three months, six months, a year, it consumes everything about you. Every single moment and thought is about this wedding. And you get to going, and then the day of the wedding gets here, and guess what happens the very next morning? Crash. You wake up with this anticipation, like, we've got to do something today. And it's like, aha, no, we don't. The nation of Israel, all they know is wedding planning every day for 430 years. That's all they know. And now they're getting this word from the Lord, hey guys, take a time out. Rest. But we understand that this rest is not just something physically. This rest has spiritual implications. How will Israel respond? God has just communicated to them, verse 21 through 26, that he 
is able to make provision for His people both physically and spiritually. But now notice verse 27. God is going to test His people. He's going to test them and see if they really trust in God's good provisions. And, verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found what? None. Now, you remember there was already a group of people that have already disobeyed the Lord's words here in this narrative. They've complained, right? I wonder if this is the same group of people. I wonder if this is the same group of people among the nation of Israel who, who love to complain and who love to doubt and who love to question and, and who love to walk in disobedience. We don't know who they are. The Bible just says some of the people, they woke up on the Sabbath and they went about their day as they did every day. What is the Bible recording for us? They don't trust God's provisions. But it's more than that, friends. It's not simply that they don't trust God's provisions. They don't. But how do we come to understand God's provisions? How do we understand what God has promised to his people? That communication comes to us in one way, through his word. So ultimately, what these people are doing is they're showing the rest of the nation of Israel. They're communicating to God that their ultimate distrust is in the very words and promises of God themselves. They don't trust the word of God. Friends, this is what makes their action so problematic. They fundamentally distrust the very character of God. Their distrust in God's Word, in some ways, is a communication of what is yet to come, right? In some ways, the nation of Israel is showing us this pattern of of what's exactly going to happen when we get to Exodus chapter 32. We shouldn't be surprised when we reach Exodus chapter 32 and we see Moses up at the top of the mountain and the nation of Israel down at the bottom creating a God in their own image, right? But whose fault is it that the nation of Israel does not trust God's word? Who's to blame? Is God to blame? Is it God's will that they respond in this way? Has God ordained that they not respond in this way? Perhaps it's that they've not heard. Or perhaps it's that they do not understand. Paul will address this issue as he reflects on the issue of Israel's rebellion in the first century. As Paul wrestles with that question as 
to why the Gentiles are coming to faith and yet the Jews are rejecting it? Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 10. And the same problem for ancient Israel is the same problem for Israel in the first century. And their problem is not God. Hear what Paul says, but I ask, chapter 10, verse 18, have they not heard? And how will God respond? Or how will Paul respond? Indeed, they have. And then he quotes for some Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The problem for the nation of Israel is not that they've not heard. God has clearly communicated. And for the Apostle Paul, he's saying, it's not a fault of God. Yes, God here in Romans chapter 10 has clearly communicated the anticipation and expectation of what it requires for all of us to have a right relationship with him, faith. So the problem is not one of hearing. Well, perhaps it's one of not understanding because we can all understand or comprehend that when we say to David, hey buddy, take out the trash, maybe he doesn't understand exactly what trash I'm talking about. Because at my house we have like 10 trash cans. So perhaps he says to me, dad, I didn't realize that you meant take out the trash, the trash cans in the bathroom. Perhaps he's thinking I just meant the, the main trash can, right? So, so maybe for the nation of Israel we can we can give mercy and grace them. They just simply didn't understand what it meant to keep the Sabbath day. Perhaps we might understand and find an excuse for why Israel was rejecting the truths of God's word and the gospel in the first century. And so we say they just simply don't understand but Paul addresses that, chapter 10, verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? And then he says, no. It's not a problem of understanding. For I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. He's already communicated this to them from Deuteronomy chapter 32, exactly what will happen if they walk in disobedience to his word. So what's the problem? The problem for ancient Israel's rebellion in, in Exodus, the problem for Israel's rebellion against the gospel and disbelief in the gospel is the same, verse 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a dis disobedient and contrary people. You know what Israel's problem is? Israel's problem is our problem. For too many of us, we simply love the pleasures of the world more than we do the pleasures of walking rightly with God. Israel rejects God's word. And so God comes again in verses 28, 29, and 30, and he communicates to them yet again that God is going to make provision for them both physically and spiritually. And from these verses, I would like to primarily communicate God's provision spiritually. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? In other words, how long are the, 
will the nation of Israel continue to reject my word? Verse 29c, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So the text reminds us, or tells us, communicates to us, that it's like finally the nation of Israel got it. Now, how many Sabbath cycles did the nation of Israel have to go through before they finally said, okay, Lord, we will rest? We don't know. Perhaps, Brother Rob, it was just one week of rebellion. Maybe it was 10 weeks of rebellion. But the text indicates to us, verse 30, so the people rested on the Sabbath day. They finally come to accept God's provision. And what is this provision? His gift to them of rest. But notice, friends, primarily, it's not the people who are resting on the Sabbath. Who's resting on the Sabbath? God. God's not going to make provision for the people on the Sabbath. And so because God's not working, the people of Israel too can join in this beautiful creation principle of rest. But you say, wait a minute, Pastor. We're not even yet to the Ten Commandments. And besides, we're, we as New Testament people, we live in light of that New Testament principle, and, and so we don't have any responsibility to to heed this concept of a Sabbath day's rest, I'd like to make a brief argument and then flesh this out as we get to the Ten Commandments that even the early church participated in what they would come to call as the Lord's Day, a day in which they gave to God for rest and worship. Why is this a good principle? First and foremost, this principle dates all the way back to creation. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God created in how many days? And what did God do on the Sabbath, seventh day? He rested. As one theologian said, perhaps there's no greater way for us to communicate that we are people made in the image of God than when we too rest on the Sabbath. This principle communicated here in Exodus chapter 16 is a, is a principle that goes all the way back to creation, but it also predates the giving of the law. We're not to Sinai yet, are we? Exodus chapter 16 comes before we get to Exodus chapter 20. We're not even yet to Sinai, and the Lord is given provision to his people that would communicate to them exactly what his expectation of them would be in terms of their right relationship with God and how they, how they are to relate to God. Creation principle, a principle that comes before we get to Exodus chapter 20, but it's also a principle that's deeply rooted in God's saving of the nation of Israel. 
Was Israel resting down in Egypt? He's not fleshed it out for them. But notice what this Sabbath day principle is doing for the nation of Israel. Following their salvation from Egypt. God is weaving, and we're going to see this at the conclusion of this text, God is weaving into the very fabric of His people a cycle where they would regularly be reminded that God has provided for them in salvation. The nation of Israel needed to be reminded that God has made provision for them in salvation. And this is part of what this Sabbath journey is doing in the hearts and lives of the nation of Israel. As they rested, they reflected, they worshiped God. It was a means of of God reminding them what He has done for them on this journey. But we're reminded, friends, In the compassionate call of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. The Sabbath images for us what eternal rest will look like. And eternal rest, friends, as we see from the book of Hebrews, only comes when we rightly trust in the person of Christ. Have you come to Jesus this morning, friend? See, you'll never comprehend and understand rest. You'll never have peace. You'll never have right relationship with God. You'll never worship rightly apart from finding that rest solely and only in the person of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is compassionately pleading for people to do. Come to me. And as we reflect on a Sabbath, we are reminded that our ultimate rest comes in the person of Christ. And yet... This concept of the Sabbath reminds us also that we, like the nation of Israel, await God's final understanding of rest. And what will that be? The joy of eternity. We will rest for all of eternity in Christ. So the Sabbath that God has given to the nation of Israel is a creation principle, a principle that predates the law, and a principle that points you and me to Christ, to faith, to hope in Christ, and also weaves into our hearts an anticipation and an expectation of Jesus' return when we will find that ultimate fulfillment of rest and eternity. Do you have the hope of eternity today? Do you have hope of that eternal rest? Have you trusted in Christ and in Christ alone?
Friend, if you're here today and you've not, you've not trusted in God's provision for you spiritually, would you believe in Jesus today? Would you come to Christ? Would you cast yourself at his mercy? Would you beg for his forgiveness? Would you rest in his sovereign care for you? Twice, the text of Scripture reminds the nation of Israel that God has indeed provided for his people both physically and spiritually. And then notice how this text concludes in verses 31 through 36. God calls his people to remember. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like the coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put, it, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan, and the omer is a tenth part of an ephah. How many years would it be before the nation of Israel would get to the promised land? From this point, another 40 years, right? Verses 31 and through 36 is a reflection on behalf of Moses. You even hear it in this, in this recounting. He's, he's telling us what is going to happen or what has happened. And we understand that Moses is writing, chronicling the majority of this narrative after the fact. But we see this editorial comment here in verses 31 through 36 that remind us that Moses is reflecting upon this event. He's looking back toward this event and he's reminding us of, of what God would eventually require of this moment. And what God is requiring of this moment is that this be a moment that is forever seared in the hearts and the minds of his people. We know from Hebrews chapter 9, if you remember just from a few weeks ago, that the Lord's going to do something with this manna in a jar. Who remembers what type of jar it was from Hebrews chapter 9? Wait a minute, you guys just read Hebrews 9 just like a few weeks ago. All right, I'm going to give you a test, A, B, C, or D, okay? It was a plastic jar. It was a bronze jar. It was a silver jar. It was a gold jar. Mason jar. Thank you, brother. It was a gold jar, right? All right, there's a lot that's taking place here. We know that in the Ark of the Covenant, eventually, Hebrews tells us, that a gold jar, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, if you want the reference, that a gold jar was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, and inside that gold jar was what? Manna. Another miracle. How in the world would that manna that normally spoils 
in, in a matter of 12 hours, how would it last for that long? The provision of God. And notice where this gold jar was to be placed. Your Bible, my Bible translates this as testament. Now there are two schools of thoughts here. Perhaps it was placed before the Ten Commandments, which are the testament, or it was placed uh, before the Ark of the Covenant. But we know for a fact that it was eventually absolutely placed in the Ark of the Covenant. When was it placed in the Ark of the Covenant? Your guess is as good as mine. But it was placed in the Ark of the, in the Covenant. For what purpose, friends? So that the nation of Israel would always be reminded that God has provided for them both physically and spiritually. And this is not the first concept of a day of remembrance that we've heard in the book of Exodus, is it? We've already been given the Passover. We've already been given the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these were to be used in the heart and the life of the nation of Israel that they might remember throughout all of their generations the way in which God has so graciously acted among his people. If the nation of Israel needed to be reminded often of God's good, kind, and gracious acts, What does that say about you and me? How often do we need to be reminded of God's good and gracious and kind acts? We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a text that you guys read last Sunday as you celebrated the Lord's Supper. And here... The Apostle Paul, as he writes these words, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. How? in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How often do we need to be reminded of God's provision for you and me that sustains us spiritually? I say to you, we need to be reminded often. For it's not only the gospel of Christ that calls us to faith, it's that same gospel that sustains us in faith and grows us in sanctification as the Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives. God has woven into the cycle of your life and my life, of our religious gatherings, a time of remembering. Remembering what? The ultimate fulfillment of what Moses is communicating in Exodus chapter 16 is what Pastor Travis reminded us of 
last week. As John records these words from Jesus in chapter 6, verse 32, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They're thinking back to the narrative of Exodus chapter 16. Rain down that bread from heaven. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, friends, what Jesus reminds us of is that he is the ultimate fulfillment of what Exodus is pointing us toward. Not only in terms of rest, but ultimate provision for life. Physical life and spiritual life is found completely and solely in Jesus. Have you eaten of this bread of life? Have you come to this bread of life? And notice what Jesus tells us. He is sufficient. You don't need anything else in life to sustain you other than the Word of God, the Word of God Himself, Jesus. You don't need any other sign from heaven. You don't need any other provision from heaven. Jesus is enough. Is he enough for you this morning, friend? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your sustaining us through Christ. We thank you that Jesus is indeed enough. And we ask you, Lord, this morning, that for those of us who are believers in Christ, that you would cause us to remember that truth. That you would sustain our hearts and our minds with that truth. And for the one that might be here today, Lord, that's not a believer, would you call them to salvation in that truth? Friend, would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect upon the preaching of God's Word? How are you resting today, believer, in Christ? Are you finding your joy in Christ? Are you finding your rest in Christ? Are you hoping in Christ? 
Are you living your life every day for Christ? If you're here and you're not a believer, this text ultimately reminds you and me of our need for Jesus, to trust in Him, to believe in Him. Would you trust in Christ today? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. As we stand and sing and reflect upon this gracious act of Christ and the giving of Himself for us, if you're here today, friend, and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, I'll be standing down front. As, as we sing, this would be an appropriate time for you to come forward and Ask me how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and talk to me. You can turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you'd like for me to pray with you. Perhaps you're like the nation of Israel. You've not been rightly responding to the Word of God. You've been walking in disobedience in some way, and this morning the Spirit has convicted you of that. And you'd like for me just to pray with you that you, you would walk obediently with God, that you would rightly respond in your life on a daily basis to God's call in your life. I would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has placed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ, this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we stand now and respond, may our responses be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?